Welcome to Global Truth Center. So there's so many of the lyrics that really resonated with me. And um, I'm not sure what your intention, Margaret, was, if it's singing to a child, you know, here on Valentine's Day, singing to a lover. Um, For me, what I heard was a singing to that little boy within me, especially at the beginning. Are you lying in the tall grass watching weightless clouds go by? Because I'm drawing you a treasure or drawing a treasure to you like waves draw to a shore. You know, like the, the innocence of childhood and just the invitation to go back to that place within myself. You know, Valentine's Day, you know, for Hallmark cards and all the wonderful things, cards and candy and boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives and exes. And I've had many of those. Um, and I know that ultimately for Valentine's Day, it's re-embracing that within myself to that self-love. And so as the song goes on, it, it was almost like a retelling of my life from that early childhood innocence to more, maybe more of like adolescence of, um, I don't need your faith. I don't need your praise. When I'm trying to figure out who am I, where am I? And I don't need that. I just need to be who I am. And I just need you to look at me and I'll know. I don't need the words. And then as I moved into my early adult phase, you know, are you, are you happy or are you sad? Are you peaceful or are you start raving mad? And it's like I noticed like there was this the shift. It's like the, the extremes of life and the choices that we get to make at your best or at your worst? What is your choice? And through it, I will love you all the same. So the title of my talk is Life on a Seesaw. That rhythm of life that we experience, which Margaret's um, lyrics so beautifully um, illustrate. But when I think back of going back to the Michelob commercial, as a kid, the joy, I loved being on the teeter-totter, you know, a seesaw or teeter-totter. It was fun. I'm a twin, you know, and as a twin, that's the most ideal partnering, I guess, to be on a seesaw because as a kid, as a toy, you would need to be partnered with someone else. It's a two-person gig, you know, and basically what a seesaw is, a teeter-totter, is a long plank which balances on a center. You know, and then you have two people that need to find equilibrium, balance each other out, and then one pushes off the ground and it propels him up to the sky. And I remember, I loved when like, it was like a big push that you actually would like gain momentum and you'd actually jump out and it'd feel like you were flying. You know, it, it was great fun. And it, I look back and it was really innocent because they don't have teeter-totters, they don't have seesaws on playgrounds anymore because they say it's dangerous, you know? 
I remember being bullied at times, you know, the skinny scrawny kid that I was that was very sensitive. And there were times playing this game, I could feel hostage, you know, the bully would be down at the bottom and like, I'd be stuck at the top, not knowing like, when are they going to let go? And when they let go, are they going to jump off? I'm going to fall crashing straight to the ground. But that wasn't my earliest recollection of, of seesaws, but that's how it evolved, you know, similar to um, the evolution, you know, the, the growing up stage in life. When I was in my mid-20s, I walked in um, to my home and there was a message on the answering machine, back when we had answering machines. And the message said, there is a B-E-A-R in the B-A-T-H-R-O-O-M. Here's my number. If you know who this is, give me a call. Beep. And I instantly knew who it was. It was my sixth grade school teacher, Lynn Shrouth. Happy Valentine's Day, Lynn. And she had been a family friend for many years. But in the sixth grade, our class went to an overnight, maybe two night um, stay at Yosemite. And my mom was a uh, chaperone on that trip. And it went on as a legend of a story because my mom, after checking that everyone was in their cabins, um, my mom ran into Mrs. Shrouth Lynn and said, there's a B-E-A-R in the B-A-T-H-R-O-O-M. And Lynn turned to her and said, they're in the sixth grade. They can S-P-E-L-L. And the point of that, the story of why she left that message is, you know, 15 years later after being in sixth grade and um, being, she goes down as one of my favorite teachers other than you, Dr. James. And, and became a good family friend. But she called and she had reached out to me after probably 10, 12, 15 years to say that my parents had just met with her. And my parents sat her down and with a very heavy, wanted to let them know that Eric might be G-A-Y. Which was changing the dynamic of my relationship with my parents, you know, talking about a seesaw, you know, how they saw me, and then as I told them, this is who I am, their perception shifted. And so they wanted to go and let Mrs. Shrouth know, we know you were, he was a big, you were a big fan of his, this was an issue for the family, and Lynn's response was, uh, yeah, I could have told you that in the sixth grade. Now, as a timeout, I kind of wish she would have told me. That would have saved a lot of anguish going through my adolescence and my early 20s. But she didn't. And her response was, I loved Eric then. Why would I not love him now? In essence, remember who you are. And that just always resonated with me. She saw me for who I am, regardless of, you know, the dynamics of how it was showing on the outside. And that's what mattered. You know, I'm still in contact with her. I actually had lunch with her about a year ago. Um, And for me, that represented, that was like the bridge for me. That moment, the bridge between connecting my childhood youth 
and who I was becoming as an adult, you know, and remembering who I am. I remember an old passage in the Bible. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now when I think of a seesaw, I think of no longer as a fun little child's game. You see it as a, a, a playground thing that is dangerous. But as I think as an adult, trained thought is more powerful than untrained thought, Ernest Holmes says. So if I look at it as a mechanism to understand how my mind works and how life really does unfold, I look at the experiential of life. You know, earlier this week there was a conversation and uh, the remarkable Donia Oxford was talking about finding balance. And she said, you know, sometimes like balance is if you are on a New York subway station, you know, and it's packed. And if you try to stand straight up and erect, you know, to find your balance, you're going to be knocked over. You kind of need to keep loose legs. You need to keep in harmony, in motion with what's going on in the outside world. You know, like a seesaw. Seesaw, originally the name derives from the French, meaning seesaw. Seesaw, I don't know, this or that. You know, it's like the, the motion of the seesaw, it's, it's this and it's that. And that's what our teaching is all about. What is our perspective? What is our choice? Do I want this or do I want that? And the only place where we get to really make that choice and decision would be in our mind, in our conscious use of how we use this creative energy of the universe. And that would be at that balancing point on the seesaw, the fulcrum. So no longer is a child's game where I'm dependent on someone else to experience the seesaw. I can do that independently and I can stand at the center in my mind and be really clear, what do I choose? Ernest Holmes said um, in this thing called you, I think it's chapter four, and I wrote the little subtitle um, to that chapter saying, Dear Eric, so dear Eric, the universe is one vast system. All the laws of nature conspire to benefit mankind. But these same laws automatically protect the integrity of nature. It's as though nature said, all right, little man, the game is yours. Play it as you see fit. I'm going to serve you, but don't fool yourself. I'm going to reflect back to you with exactness to what you really are. It's like a seesaw. It's all about balance, finding the balance. And then in his uh, textbook, Science of Mind, um, back in the late 20s, he wrote, the law of mind, which is the medium of all action, is the law of perfect balance. The law of mind is the law of perfect balance. At the center of the seesaw, at that fulcrum point, is the equivalent of my mind. And that is, by law, the place of perfect balance. The objective world perfectly balances the images with the subjective world. So the objective world, what's going on out in life, out on the subway, with job, with family, with 
politics, God forbid, with the economy balances out equally to what's going on in my subjective, in my mind. Water will reach its own level at its own weight. And according to the same law, consciousness will externalize at its own level by its own weight. We don't adjust our consciousness to what's going on outside. That's if we're riding, if we're riding the seesaw. But if we're really finding the balance in our minds at that perfect center of balance, it's our mind, it's our consciousness that directs our experience on the ride. I found a um, great little parable, which some of you may have heard, but I think it's worthy, kind of in the spirit of cracking up a beer with Thomas Troward. There was once a businessman who was sitting at the beach in some small Brazilian village. As he sat there, he saw a Brazilian fisherman rowing a small boat towards the shore, having caught quite a few big fish. And the businessman was really impressed. And he asked the fisherman, how long did it take you to catch all those fish? And the fisherman said, oh, not a whole lot of time, a short while. Well, then why don't you stay out longer at sea and catch even more? Well, this is enough to feed my whole family, the fisherman responded. So what do you do the rest of your day? And the fisherman replied, well, I usually wake up early in the morning, go out to sea, catch a few fish, and then go back and play with my kids. In the afternoon, I take a nap with my wife, and evening comes, I join my buddies in the village for a drink, play the guitar, sing and dance all through the night. And the businessman offered a suggestion. He said, I'm a PhD in business management, and I think I could help you. From now on, you should go out, spend more time at sea, catch more fish, and then when you've saved enough money, you can buy a bigger boat, catch more fish, and then eventually you can start a company, hire more people to um, open a production plant and canned food and distribution. By then, you'll be able to move out of the village to Sao Paulo, where you can set up a human, uh, your headquarters and manage your other branches. And the fisherman continued, and then what? The business left, well, after that, you can live like a king in your own house. And then when the time is right, you can go public, float the shares, sell, and you'll be rich. And the fisherman said, well, and then what? Well, after that, after that, you can finally retire. You can go move to a house by the fishing village, wake up early in the morning, catch a few fish, then return home to play with the kids, have a nice afternoon nap with your wife. And evening comes, you can join your buddies for a drink, play the guitar, and dance throughout the night. And the fisherman was puzzled. Isn't that what I'm doing now? So I think that's the opportunity that I ask myself, and I think for each of us to ask, what am I doing now? What is my experience? What is my ride on the seesaw of life? Am I struggling to find the balance between life and work? Between loneliness and companionship? We're always at choice. That's one of the greatest things um, about this teaching, volition. 
How do we use our minds? And I got to say, I'm not great at balance. This past year was a, was a real challenge for me with balance. Started a new big job, finishing ministerial studies, you know, trying to get my thesis done, which literally Dr. James said, if it's not in by 12 midnight on this date, you're not going on. I got it in at 11.59. You know, a pandemic, moving in with my partner, that relationship dissolving and falling apart. Bigger job, like just a lot of things. And I look back of, there was a lot going on and I probably wasn't the most proficient in finding the balance, finding the calm in the midst of it all. And so I do take this opportunity now Life is still very busy. Life is still very full. You know, and I've incorporated a conversation with my boss and my colleagues on a daily basis and with some of our clients as well. Am I making this choice out of fear or out of love? And so that's what I invite each of you to do, to ask the question, is this moving to fear or to love? You know, the playground is always ours, you know, and we don't need to scare away from the seesaw as if it's a dangerous toy. You know, it's a strong, powerful mechanism. And it's a great reminder of am I in balance or not? Thank you. Namaste. <laughs>